Well, church family, let's, uh, let's begin now to turn our hearts in the direction of, of worshiping our Lord on a Resurrection Sunday through his word. We just sang a moment ago, Only King Forever. That's the title to the song we just sang. The chorus, again, going like this. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever. Forevermore, you are victorious. And we sang that like we believed it. Yes? Yeah. What a great song for this Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate our King who is risen from the dead forevermore. Lord Jesus, you are victorious. Now this song sets up perfectly for us as we recall together what we have been about for the last few weeks as we've been preparing for this special Resurrection Day. We've been sharing a little mini-series, and if you haven't been with us, this will kind of just be a little bit of a kind of background for you. We've been sharing a little mini-series titled, When Jesus is Your King. And we've been using Matthew's gospel and his unique perspective on Jesus to help us, since he's the Holy Spirit-inspired gospel writer, who more than any of the other gospel writers reveals Jesus as Israel's long-awaited, long-promised-by-God Messiah King. Writing to Jews originally, as Matthew was, it was very important that the Jewish people be able to recognize and realize that Jesus was in fact prophesied to be the King of Israel, that he would come in power and majesty. And so... By extension, we get to step into that truth. And so Matthew in his gospel repeatedly shows how Jesus is the king of kings promised by God. And so what we are doing, what we have been doing, is taking moments from Matthew's account of the life of Jesus where his identity as king is put on display in beautiful and really powerful ways. And I think that we're probably going to add one more Sunday to this series and call it the King's Speech. And we're going to go into Matthew 28 again, Lord willing, next time. But, But that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. A couple of Sundays ago, we were in Matthew chapter 2, where the king is born. The king comes into our world and and the wise in any age bow down and they worship Jesus as king. Last Sunday, which was Palm Sunday, we were in chapter 21 of Matthew, where the king formally presents himself to Israel while riding on the back of a donkey. He comes to his people. They do not recognize that he is their king in the way that that he presents himself, but he is indeed the king who presents himself to his people. Then this past Friday evening here, On Good Friday, we went into Matthew chapter 27 and we journeyed in a reverent and powerful way to Calvary to remember the death of the king. It was a very special time for us on Friday evening. And so here we are today, Easter morning, where we get a chance now to step into Matthew chapter 28 and celebrate as the king rises from the dead. So if you are not already there, would you take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28? If you 
don't have a Bible with you this morning and you'd like one, just raise your hand. We keep some in the back and we'll be glad to share a copy of God's Word with you. If you don't own a Bible and you would like to have the Bible that you get, keep it. Write your name in it and it'll be yours as a gift from our church family to you. There is a note page in your bulletin as well. It will be helpful along the way. It's packed with scripture, so uh, please grab that if you would as well. Let's let Matthew recount the resurrection story of Jesus for us and then see what is true because the king is risen. That's where we're going to ultimately get to this morning. Now, there's a massive backstory that you may or may not know, depending on how long you've been a part of the church or or had a relationship with the Lord Jesus. You may or may not know. So for the benefit of all of us, time will just allow us a quick flyover, really, of the story of Jesus' life. He's born in Bethlehem, which the Old Testament prophets said was where the Messiah King would be born. Angels announced his conception and his birth, declaring that he would be the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace between God and sinful mankind. His mother Mary was a virgin, so right away we know that Jesus, the King, is supernatural, fully God, yet fully human, like no one before, like no one since. He grows up in Nazareth, and then as an adult, for three years, Jesus teaches truths and performs miracles that confirm that he is indeed the Son of God, that he is the King from heaven. He also tells his disciples on several occasions that he's going to die, that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to die for a sinful sinful humanity and restore the relationship between a holy God and mankind that sin has destroyed. He tells his disciples this. In fact, he even tells them that he will rise from the dead three days after he dies. But it's more than they can absorb. Well, then comes the cataclysmic events of Passover week in Jerusalem. Jesus is arrested by the Jewish religious establishment because he's a threat to their power base and to their position. These religious leaders send Jesus to the Roman governor, whose name is Pilate, And Matthew records the moment when he stands before the governor. Chapter 27, verse 11, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, Yes, it is as you have said. Religious leaders ultimately manipulate Pilate into sentencing Jesus to death. Pilate hands Jesus over to the Roman garrison in Jerusalem. And then Matthew writes in verse 28 of chapter 27, And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head again and again. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Well, once nailed to the cross, Pilate has his crime written on a board and the board is attached to the cross. And we read this in verse 37 of Matthew 27. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus 
the king of the Jews. The people mock him viciously. The religious leaders cry out in verse 42, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. Well, after six hours of unspeakable agony on the cross, about three o'clock in the afternoon on that Friday, Jesus endures the most horrific moment of all when he takes your sin, my sin, our sin upon himself. And he cries out in verse 46 of chapter 27, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We all know the answer. He became sin for us, our sin. Well, shortly after this, Matthew says in verse 50 that Jesus yielded up his spirit. His life was not taken from him. He gave it up. It was a voluntary act. His timing. The innocent king dies for the guilty subjects. He dies for us. Before sundown on Friday, Jesus is taken down from the cross by friends and he's placed in a nearby grave. Essentially, it's a small room uh, hewn out of the rock. A large stone has been rolled across the entrance. And that was on Friday. That's how Friday evening ends. Saturday, which is Sabbath day, a day on which the Jewish culture does not work or perform, perform any activity, That passes without incident and without recording in Scripture, bringing us now to Matthew chapter 28 to Sunday morning. And here we are, verse 1 of Matthew 28. Here's what we read. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So we have two Marys recorded here in Matthew's rending of all of this. One is Mary Magdalene, faithful follower of Jesus. She had helped prepare Jesus' body for burial on Friday night, but time had run out, the sun had set, so it was not a completed act. The other Gospels tell us that there were additional followers in this this troop that gather on Easter morning at the tomb. All of them are women. And they all head to the tomb to pay their respects and complete the burial process that was left undone. Toward the dawn at first light, look what happens in verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. This is the second earthquake in three days. There was one when Jesus died. Do you remember that? The earth shook at the moment of Jesus' death. It was so powerful an earthquake, the centurion in charge of Jesus' execution says, truly this was the Son of God. Now there's another great earthquake. In fact, the word great in verse 2 is actually the Greek word mega. It was a mega earthquake. Why an earthquake? Well, perhaps God was simply saying, look, something big is happening and I don't want anybody to miss it. Something big is going down. Added to the earthquake 
is the appearance of an angel. God sends an angel from heaven. He grabs the stone over the front of the tomb and he he rolls it back. In fact, John in his gospel says he flung it out of the way. Just flung it out of the way like it was nothing. And he sits on it. Matthew notes his appearance. He looked like lightning. What does lightning look like, brothers and sisters? What does it look like? It's bright. It's it's brilliant. Though it happens in a, in just a, a nanosecond, the light that is radiated from a, from a lightning strike is so powerful that it leaves you with a kind of a retina burn, doesn't it? Yeah. Imagine the brightness of lightning sustained. It isn't just a flash. It just keeps going. Well, that's this angel, radiant in brilliance. Now, the effect on the Roman guards is what the military would call being shell-shocked, even though there's no shells in this moment. It's when you're so overwhelmed by something that you are effectively paralyzed, and then you pass out. They became like dead men, Matthew says. Now, Keep in mind, this is the security force sent at Pilate's command to make the tomb as secure as humanly possible. So these are not raw recruits. These are the best and most trusted of Roman soldiers. And since we know a little bit about the Roman army in antiquity, that is saying something. These guys are, these guys are good. They know their business. And yet even they can't handle what is happening. The earthquake, the sight of the angel of God, it freezes them and then makes them so afraid that they actually lose consciousness. Now, the women, interestingly enough, don't, which causes me to wonder, what does that say about all of us brave men, right? (laughs) The women look at the guards that are laid out on the ground, And then the angel speaks to them from his lightning brilliance. Verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is... What's the next word, church? He is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him there. Now, I have told you. Are the women afraid, do you think? Yes, they are afraid. Are they bewildered? Absolutely. Who would not be in that kind of an emotional state given the situation? And so that's why the angel's first words are to reassure them and to comfort them. The angel says, you don't need to be afraid like these guys over here. You're safe. And then the most wonderful words of announcement ever made. Jesus is not here. He has risen from the dead. He's not here. He has risen. Now, did the women understand in this moment? Probably not fully. 
I mean, their arms are loaded, if you remember, with spices needed to complete the burial process of Jesus' body, which was cut short by darkness on Friday evening. So they're not anticipating anything as they come to the tomb except a body which they are going to prepare. The angel invites them to look into the tomb. See for yourselves where he was lying. He is not here anymore. You have to love this moment because it's so true to human experience. When something overwhelmingly wonderful happens in our lives, we just don't know what to do with ourselves in the moment of discovery. Now, probably most of us are familiar with something called a reveal in this day, right? Are you, are you all familiar with that term? Uh, a reveal. I mean, they're all over the internet. You can go and look at them on the on, on YouTube. Perhaps you've seen a reveal, a hidden camera, maybe a video of a couple who are creatively sharing the news that they are pregnant and they're going to have a child. And and so they gather the grandparents and they just chore, they choreograph this thing perfectly with a hidden camera and then they spring it on them. We're going to have a baby. And the grandparents, what do they do? They just kind of go, oh, whoa, you know, and they just kind of come unglued. That's the reveal. Or or the soldier who comes back from overseas secretly, and he's disguised as the catcher at a baseball game. And his wife is being honored by getting to throw the first pitch, right, the first ball. And he's going to be the catcher. So he catches the ball, and he runs out to the mound, And he lifts his catcher's mask. And what happens? Oh, man, life happens right there, doesn't it? And she's overwhelmed and she throws herself into his arms. When a reveal happens, human happens. Joy, bewilderment, confusion. What? Who? How? Wow! Right? Well, that's these women. That's these women at this incredible moment of reveal. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Here now is the final proof for these women of Jesus' resurrection. He's right there in front of them. His first words to them were the common greeting of the day. Translated greetings, but today, if he were here today, he would have said, hi, or good morning, or hey there, ladies, right? That's that's how it would have gone. And, And this is amazing to me. I mean, you'd think Jesus would have something eternally profound to say, but he goes with, Hi. Hi. And I suspect the reason why is because he is so dialed in to where they are at emotionally in this moment that he speaks this familiar greeting to ease their bewilderment at the moment of the great reveal. But they recognize his voice. They know that it's him. And they came up, verse 9, and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. 
It's an interesting detail that Matthew includes here, that they took hold of his feet. Now, why would that be important? Well, that's important, church, because you can't grab a ghost, right? Jesus is not a ghost. He's not some ethereal emanation of his former self. He's not a spiritual manifestation of who he was. This is the real, physical, present, bodily Jesus that they had always known, right down to his feet. And there at his feet, they worship him. I mean, what else could they do? They knew he had been dead. Some of them had personally buried him in that tomb. But now here he is standing in front of them alive. They pay him the ultimate homage and they worship him as their God and as king. For who else could this be? In fact, John tells us in his gospel that Mary Magdalene, she holds on to Jesus so tightly in this moment and for so long that Jesus has to tell her, let go, let go of me. (laughs) I know he did that tenderly, but it's kind of like he had to pry her off of himself. She had lost him once, she thought, She's not going to let that ever happen again. And such, it's such a real and authentic and human moment between Jesus and Mary. You've got to let go of me. I'm not going anywhere. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so Jesus echoes the words of the angel, do not be afraid. And did you know, church family, that, that this is the, the most often repeated phrase by Jesus in the New Testament? He says this phrase more than any other, do not be afraid. In a sense, Jesus' resurrection means that we never really have to be afraid of anything ever again. Because he's the risen king. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Well, we know from the other gospel writers that they do eventually meet up in Galilee. But before they do, a lot happens. These women tell the disciples and we read in another place that Peter and John race to the tomb and they discover that it's empty and they believe the king has risen. Jesus appears that same day to two disciples walking along the road to Emmaus. He explains to them why the Messiah King has to die. And he goes into the Old Testament and he he just brings to life himself. And he opens their eyes, the scripture says, to understand why he had to die and then rise from the dead. Well, that evening of Resurrection Sunday, Jesus will appear to his disciples who are hiding in a a room because they're afraid they're going to be arrested and executed as well. They see Jesus, but they don't faint like the soldiers did, but they are absolutely astonished. Jesus eats something while he is with them as further proof that it really is him bodily present, not just a spirit. He appears again to them eight days later and even invites skeptical Thomas to do what? You can put your finger into my wounds if that will help you. 
You can put your hand into my side if that will help you, Thomas, to believe that it is really me alive, risen before you. We're told of many other resurrection appearances, even appearing to 500 people at one time. No doubt each time it was a reenactment of the experience that the women had at the tomb. Great fear and great joy. The king is alive. He's not here. He's risen as he said. Matthew 28 verse 6. The king rises from the dead. Now, the resurrection of King Jesus might leave us with many, many questions this morning. But perhaps the most important question is this. If the king is risen, what does his resurrection mean to me? What does it mean to me personally that the king of heaven has risen from the dead? Surely it means many, many things. But this Easter Sunday, there are four truths that scream to be proclaimed. And for these, we will not limit ourselves just to Matthew's gospel, but allow other parts of God's word to speak to us as well. So if you flip that little note page over that you have, because the king is risen, because he lives, I know four incredible truths. Truth number one, I know that the tomb of Jesus is what? It is empty this morning. It's empty right now. Mark 16, 6, the angel says to the women who come to Jesus' tomb, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has, what's the word? He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples that he's going before you to Galilee. God, through the angel, says, go into the tomb. Check it out. In effect, God extends an invitation to every person in every age. Come, see the place where Jesus once was, but is no longer because he's alive. You're invited to come by God. Come and see, God says, and then go and tell what you've seen. Fellow Christian, is that not a perfect summary of the Christian life? When we live it out biblically, we come and see. And then we go tell what we've seen. The risen king. Amen. It's a great description of the Christian life. Luke 24 verses 5 through 8. And the women were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the angel said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. God, through King Jesus' resurrection, has posted an empty sign at the tomb and it remains there to this day. Do you believe that? All other tombs in the world that are famous are famous because of what they hold. The body of some significant person, right? That's why those tombs are famous. Jesus' tomb is famous because it's what? It's empty. God's way of declaring that the grave is not the end of the story. 
And because the king is risen, I know Jesus' tomb is empty today. And that empty tomb brings us to a second truth worth thinking about this Easter morning. Because the king is risen, I know that my sin debt is paid and I stand before God forgiven. Amen? From the Old Testament book of Isaiah, here is heaven's take on you and me if Jesus is not in our lives through simple saving faith. Isaiah 64, 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we put on our prized robes of righteousness, we find they are but filthy rags. Well, that paints a pretty clear and terrifying picture of the way things really are between us and God. We all have a serious sin problem. And none of us impresses a holy God with how good we are or how good we try to be. We're all clothed in filthy rags of self-righteousness until Jesus changes that. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 declares it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what's another word for Lord? King. King. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is king and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, say it church, saved. Amen. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Do you know what the word justified means? It's a beautiful word. It means to be pronounced not guilty by God in the court of heaven to be pronounced not guilty by God. That's the word justified. Jesus paid our sin debt when it was was nailed to the cross with him. Jesus' sinless death in our place satisfies the justice of God. The king did time for our crime and God can forgive us and preserve his own justice because the debt was paid not by us but by the king dying and rising again. Look at this next passage. It says the same thing. Colossians 2, 13, 14. You were, what? Dead because of your sins. Then God made you alive with Christ. Alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. When the Bible talks about forgiveness of sin in a person's life, it likes to use different words to convey that, that, that idea of forgiveness. In fact, there are four different words the Bible uses for forgiveness. One of those words means to cover up, like using fresh paint on a dingy, dirty, yellowed, scuffed up wall. You put the paint on it and you don't see any of that anymore. It's fresh and clean. The second word for forgiveness in the Bible means to lift out or to take away. Kind of like when an ugly stain is is lifted out of a carpet. The sin is lifted away. It's forgiven. A third word the Bible likes when talking about forgiveness means to wipe the record clean like an accountant taking his pencil and and erasing all the figures in the debt column of his ledger sheet. And then the fourth word 
means to set free. As when a convicted prisoner is released from prison, his debt paid, he's free now to go. You put all four words together and you get a great picture of what God offers sinners who believe that Jesus died for them, was buried, and rose again. What's the picture? Well, Jesus covers my sin. He removes the stain of sin from my life. He wipes the record clean on my ledger sheet. And he releases me from sin's guilt and power into the freedom, the true freedom of a relationship with him that lasts forever. It's the most amazing and comprehensible thing in the universe that God would offer his forgiveness to us through the death of his son. But that's what he does. And he doesn't have to do this, does he? He wants to do this. And why does he want to do this for us, church? Because he loves us. He loves us. He wants to do this because he loves us. But, but, all of this depends on the resurrection, doesn't it? If King Jesus dies on a cross for our sin, but if he does not rise victoriously over death that our sin produces, then our sin is greater than the power that he has to overcome it. He's got to rise from the dead. And oh, look at what the Bible declares on that uh, in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life. To do what? To make us right with God. On Easter morning, God declared through the resurrection, (laughs) the king is risen. And because of that, I know the tomb is empty. And because of that, I know my sin debt is paid in full. And third, I now have the power to live for God in a way I never could before because the king lives. In other words, God doesn't just forgive us of our sin When we trust Jesus, he then gives us everything we need to live a life that will be for our good now and for his good now. And how is that possible? How does that work? Well, take a look at Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20. There on your page. I pray, says Paul, that you will begin to understand, Christian, how incredibly great God's power is to help those who believe him. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Church family and friends, let's not miss this glorious truth. The very same power that God used to raise Jesus, our King, to victory over sin, death, and the grave on Easter morning. Resurrection power is the very same power that God says He makes available to you and me to be able to live for Him right now. If you know Jesus, you have at your disposal, this is not an exaggeration, you have resurrection power available to you. And that power comes to bear for a Christian in all of the places where life gets really hard. Health issues, emotional trauma, 
a painful loss, a destructive addiction, relationships that have gone awry. Sometimes it's a rocky marriage where we need resurrection power. Our kids are out of control. We need resurrection power. Financial pressures. 10,000 possibilities that might confront us as we live in a dangerous, sin-filled world. Is there anyone big enough to deal with the challenges that I face in this life, the temptations that I encounter in this life? Is there anyone big enough to deal with the hardest places in my life? You bet there is. His name is Jesus. How incredibly great is his power to help those who believe in him, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The Apostle Paul will say it this way, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I am ready for anything. What What does anything mean? You name it. That's what it means. I am ready for anything through the strength of Christ who, what's the next word? Lives in me. Not who died for me and was buried, but who died, was buried, and who now lives in me by faith. I'm ready for anything. Anything. Because the king is risen. What a great truth. And then one more. Because the king is risen, I have a sure and certain future. Because Jesus is risen, everyone, every single person in this room today has the opportunity to erase forever a question mark that might sit squarely at this moment over your future, over your life after this life is over. Where am I going to spend eternity? On your note page near the bottom, check out 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. In fact, church family, let's, let's just read this aloud right off the screen. Can we do that together? Let's do it, all of us at the same time. Now we live in the hope of eternal life because Christ rose again from the dead. Now we live in hope of eternal life because Christ rose again from the dead. The Holy Spirit through Peter here says as clearly as it can be declared that when our faith and our trust is in the risen King, we have eternal life. Eternal life. When, church? Now. now. Right now. It's not something that we get later on. We sometimes think, well, I'm going to get eternal life one day. No, that's not true. That's not biblically accurate. If you have put your faith in the risen king, you have eternal life. Say it now, right? Now we live in the hope of heaven because Jesus rose again from the dead. And here's the same truth from the lips of the king himself. John chapter 11. Verses 25 and 26. Here's what Jesus says. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. 
Do you believe this? Yes. 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 I believe this. I believe this. The one who rose from the dead has the power to raise us to a brand new life that will never end if we believe in his death and in his resurrection. Life. Because the king is risen, I know the tomb is empty. Because the king is risen, my sin debt is paid in full and declared so by God. And because the king is risen, I have the power to live for the king right now. I can face anything. And because the king is risen, my future is sure and certain. Eternal life now. Amen and amen. Let's pray together, church. Well, what a joy, what a joy, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit to, sell, to, to, to share resurrection truth together. You are the King, Lord Jesus. We declare it. You are the King, and you are alive. You are alive, gloriously alive. All of heaven is worshiping you now. The redeemed from the past who have put their faith in you are in your presence and They are worshiping you now. We are worshiping you now. Risen King, Lord Jesus. How we thank you for these truths of the resurrection. It makes all the difference in the world. We believe. Perhaps today, it is possible that you came to the Bible church on this Easter Sunday but you have yet to clarify who Jesus will be in your life. Will he just be a historical figure? Maybe a great teacher from the past. Made a significant contribution, but that's all. Or is it possible that God, in this very special moment in time, has pulled the blinders off of your eyes, and for the first time you realize that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God-man who went to the cross and paid your sin debt that you could never pay in full, and he gives you eternal life as you place your faith and trust in him, believing in his death and in his resurrection, and that he did it for you. Perhaps this is the moment when all of that comes comes clear for you. If that be true, then tell him so. Tell him that you believe. He is who he is and he's done what he said he would do. And experience a transformed life. Eternal life now. And the power to live for the king. And if you make that decision in this moment, don't leave today without telling someone We have some printed material we'd love to share with you to help you in this new journey of faith. Don't leave without telling someone. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, King of Kings, 
It's a joy to worship you. We give the rest of this day to you. In your name, amen and amen.